Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on our new home, CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We have got an amazing show lined up for you guys this week. First, I'll be sitting down with Mason the Dragon Jones, newly signed to the UFC, about to make his UFC debut this upcoming Wednesday on Fight Island. He's talking about his former organization, Cage Warriors, his double championship there, as well as his upbringing in the MMA world. You're going to want to listen in because this kid is ultra confident and he's an ultra exciting prospect as well. Then I'm going to be talking to Sarah Morris about her career, about her moving back and forth between Canada and Vegas and Extreme Couture and back to Canada and getting ready for her fight this upcoming weekend at Fight Island 7. Plus, sandwiched in between those two great interviews, me and Shockwave Dave are back once again with Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We are going to be breaking down both Fight Island 7 and Fight Island 8 with your same favorite format that you've come to know and love with Top Turtle MMA. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Jock Market. Look, we've all played daily fantasy sports and saw one of our guys put up a dud of a first half. You almost wish you could sell off that player and start fresh in the second half. Well, now you can with Jock Market. Jock Market is the only daily fantasy sports app that allows you to buy and sell players as stock commodities while the games are going on. You start by bidding on their IPOs of players, and Jock Market issues the shares to the highest bidders. From there, you can buy and sell with other users as the price of your players rise and fall with their performance and the demand for them. At the end of the night, Jock Market pays out based on their final performance and the numbers of shares you have. Jock Market's live right now for NBA, the NBA, NFL playoffs, and PGA. So head on over to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download Jock Market right now. Plus, when you sign up, make sure to use promo code TURTLE10 for a free $10 on your first deposit of $20 or more. Jock Market brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Mason Jones, who fights Mike Davis at UFC Fight Island 8 on January 20th. So, Mason, I'm looking back at your record. You know, obviously it's impressive, 10-0, but you've only been a professional for three years. I'm curious to hear from you, did you always feel like this was going to be what happened, signed to the UFC, ready to make your debut, or how, how long has this even been a dream of yours? So UFC has just been an inevitability for me. Um, I've known um, I was going to go to the UFC since I was 12 years of age. Um, this is something I've worked towards for a long, long time. Um, I started training at seven years of age, and by the time I was, God, 10 years of age, um, I knew this was sort of the thing I, I, I wanted to do, and um, this is where I wanted to be. And then by the time I was 12, I knew I would be good enough to do it, and I just knew I had to set my route the right way and do the right things, and that's what I've done. Um, I've competed at a high level in judo competitions for a long, long time. Um, then I moved on, um, and just before the Commonwealth Games, um, I left judo. Um, after qualifying for the Games, I took a little bit of an injury and decided that I needed to step away. Um, and then rather than go straight into MMA then, at 17, 18 years of age, I decided that I needed to work on my striking a bit more before going in there because obviously striking 
sells fights. Um, a lot of fights are sold by someone's striking ability. So I went into boxing. I pro-boxed for two years, uh, went 3-0, and uh, and I had a lot of cancelled fights. I think I had something like six fights that I trained for that were cancelled on short notice and week of fights and day four hands and all sorts. So um, uh, I decided to go back into MMA. Um, and then obviously I started my tier through the division. So it, I competed all my life, high-level competitions all over Europe and all over the world. Um, I've trained in different places, including Rio, um, Boston, California, Vegas, um, most of Europe. Uh, I'm, I've, I've been there, I've done that. So I'm more than ready for this test, and um, this is really going to show the world that I'm ready to be in the UFC and exactly what I'm going I'm to do. Absolutely. And, and I'm curious, you, you said you started at seven years old. You started training for this kind of thing at that age. What drew you to combat arts at that age? So <laughs> this is quite funny, actually. So um, uh, my parents uh, took me to football, same as my brothers, um, or soccer, sorry for the Americans. <laughs> and um, I had no talent for it at all. Um, all I wanted to do was just sort of um, try and sort of tackle people to the ground and fly tackle people and um, my, my dad used to say even as a kid it was just embarrassing um, so he, he took me from there took me into rugby obviously for Wales rugby is a national sport um, I was good at tackling good at the contact but anything to do with passing the ball um, I was terrible at so um, he said as a kid all I ever wanted to do from the time I, I, I could walk was fight he said I was either running um, running around pretending to be um, uh, a samurai with swords he said or I had guns shooting people or I was trying to fight people as a ninja or wherever, wherever I wanted to be at that time I was always fighting um, and I, I, I was always, I was always like that all the way through my life I remember being like that I remember having the temper and um, that was one thing that sort of drew me there was uh, I had a terrible temper um, terrible at controlling it so they took me um, to martial arts and it changed my life um, I started kickboxing um, and in the kickboxing gym I was at they um, they did self-defense classes which were basically just early onset M MMA classes um, the people who've come from that gym um, Joseph Duffy was in the same gym as me obviously he went on into the USC Jack Marshman was in the same gym as me starting um, Richard and Jack Shaw so we all sort of come from the same place and we all started the same way um, and after seeing those guys doing the, the early strike and grapple events and the early grapple and strike events before MMA was big in, in the UK, that was that was what sort of led me to that sport and led me to the UFC. And I've never looked back since. I've always known what I wanted to do and I've always worked towards it. I love it. Now, I'm curious to, uh, going back to your first answer, you had mentioned something about how the fact that you know that striking sells fights or seems to sell fights better than grappling. And you're an amazing grappler. Like you said, you, you qualified for the Commonwealth Games. Had your mind always kind of worked towards that idea that you like need to market yourself and, and need to be not only a good fighter but a marketable fighter? Uh, I always like to think of it as products. We're just products. That's, that's all, all we are. And um, being a product, it's not about how well you perform. It's about how you you mar how marketable how marketable you are and how you sell yourself. So um, a lot of people get a stupid idea that they need to copy um, something that works and that is is a shortcut to it. That's that's a shortcut. To success, but it's not going to take you. Well, it's not going to take you any any further than the first um, the first roadblock you hit. You have to build your own your own profile and build your own characteristics and sell yourself for who you are going to be. And that's what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to go in there with my own flair, my own style, my uh, my own marketability, and I'm just going to do what I do best, and that is um, beat the best in the world. 
And you say that you you don't want to, to to steal somebody else's markability. You don't want to use what somebody else did. You don't want to be a copycat. But it's worth noting you're a double champ the cage warriors, right? Like that is that is something that carries a certain kind of connotation to it, does it not? Do you feel like the fact that you have that coming in when when you know we're talking about a very short list of people who have that and they are very big names in the sport? Do, do you feel extra pressure coming to the UFC with that kind of moniker on you? No, no, not at all. Um, the whole reason the the champ champ thing come about was because I wanted to prove that I I could beat um, I I could beat and stand up to UFC level guys. Um, in the lightweight division at the time, I didn't really see any, anyone with was a credible fight to me that was an exciting fight to me. So um, uh, I seen Adam Proctor was at the um, fight for the welterweight title. Um, Adam Proctor is a big guy, um, and proving myself against him would prove that I could stand up to um, any any lightweight in in this division. Like if I'm beating welterweights, and I'm more than capable of beating lightweights. Um, so that was the reason I asked for that fight. That's the reason I took that fight, and that's the reason I stopped him in four minutes. Well, four and a half. <laughs> Absolutely. Now I, I'm curious to so let's let's talk a little bit about this fight coming up on Fight Island because. I saw it announced very recently. Only about a week ago did I see this hit the news. It, was it all news to you at that time, too? Or did you have an inkling that maybe you would be fighting a little bit earlier than the public did? Oh, no, I'd known for a while. Um, this fight, um, I was signed without without a fight. I was signed just under a multi-fight contract, and they didn't give me a bout. Um, and then this name come up um, in a verbal agreement, and we've been waiting a long time for the contracts to come through. Um, there was a slight delay with the USC's side of things for the contracts to come through. And then, obviously, as soon as the, the contracts got signed, I think um, it was about less than a week before it, it, it got leaked. Um, and then, obviously, they've only just officially announced it. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've known about Mike for a long time. Um, we've been training for him for, well, almost a full camp, if not more than a full camp, um, as he's been doing for me. Um, Mike is by no means... An easy fight. Um, it's exactly what I wanted because I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to be pushed. I wanted to show that I am I am a credible threat, and I'm going to start by showing people exactly what I can do because I am the best in in the world in in my eyes. And all that's left for me to do is to prove to everyone else how good I am. Now you obviously sound like a really cerebral guy. So given a full training camp, looking at at a single opponent. Are you the type of guy who does a lot of film breakdown of your the fights of your opponent as well? Are you a guy who likes to go back and watch what he's done, likes to go back and, and take down little bits and pieces and notes? Or is that something you leave a little bit more to your coaches? No, no, um, we all do it because um, we all see different things. Um, obviously, we all um, do analysis and we all break fights down and we all, all write our own notes and then we compare and we sort of try and see if any of us has seen something the other hasn't. Um, all these things, uh, they're 1% gains and it's something that's necessary to do. Um, any sort of bonus moving into that fight is, again, it just means it, it just makes it easier on, on the night. Um, we've done lots of breakdowns on Mike. We've looked at all his fights. Um, we've written notes. We've done specific training plans for it. And we know exactly what he's going to bring to the table unless he has something, obviously, that he's going to pull out of his back pocket. But that's that's the fight game. Um, we'll see who's got the best surprises come fight night, and um, you'll see me walk away with another big win. And so I also wanted to ask, now obviously you've spent your whole career in Cage Warriors, right? Or with the exception of like one really early fight. You've spent your pretty much your whole career there, fighting in Wales and England and, and around the UK. It's pretty much your only place. And now obviously you mentioned you trained in Rio, you trained in Boston, Massachusetts, you've, you've trained in other places. 
But this is the first time traveling for a fight. Have you put thought into how that might be too? Uh, no. Um, I've competed in Brazil. Um, I've competed in different places with different things, jiu-jitsu and all sorts. Um, and we made sure that when we fought, like obviously my fights have all been in the UK. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to fight outside of the UK. Um, uh, but we traveled to do camps while in, in inside the UK to make sure that we knew how to do it. Obviously, we tra- I competed twice in my in this year inside lockdowns as well. Um, so the pressure is not going to get me. the The environment's not going to be anything different than I'm used to. Um, it's it's just going to be a new experience fighting in the UFC Panama. But it, it's it's going to be a homecoming for me. This is going to be where I deserve to be, and I, I'm going to prove that. And so it's come to that part of the interview where I got to ask you, you've said you expect to go out there, do some dominant things. You expect to prove that you belong there. What does that mean? What is your prediction for what goes down when you fight Mike Davis on Fight Island uh, come January 20th? Mike Davis is a very tough opponent. It's going to be a tough fight and it's, it's going to be an exciting fight. Um, the two of us like exciting fights and this is going to be one to watch. Um, I believe um, I'll beat him up in the first and then I'll finish him in the second. That's that's my prediction and um, that's something that you, you're going to see. If I stop it before that, I stop before that, but um, I, I can see it going in, in into the deeper rounds. All right, and you heard it here first, folks. That was Mason Jones who fights Mike Davis at UFC Fight Island 8 on January 20th. Mason, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you and speak to you soon. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Mason Jones. I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. And before we get into the thick of things, I have to let you know that that interview was brought to you by Covert Cat. Are you sick of having to decide between the rash guard that looks like Alexander Volkov's back tattoo and the one that has full tribal bands up and down the arms? Maybe you're like me and you don't like to show up to grappling tournaments with a flying saucer surfing over Bigfoot on top of your rash guard. Well, if you are like me, then you should check out Covert Cat. Because Covert Cat brings you minimalist, no-gi wear for both BJJ and MMA. Their graphics are sharp, clean, and not filled with a bunch of frills. Make sure to check out their whole line on their Instagram, at Covert Cat Brand, or on their website, thecovertcat.com. They're designed in Australia with a low fixed shipping rate worldwide, so it doesn't matter where you live, you're going to want to get some Covert Cat. Now, I am finally joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start it here. Fights are back. OMG, Gumby, am I excited for fights to be back? I mean, just look at what's happened in the world the past few weeks. Clearly, that was all because the UFC stopped running cards. As far as I'm concerned, UFC should be an every week thing. And this is coming from someone who used to complain about the overkill of too many cards. I've gone the opposite way, Gumby. 360 degrees or whatever's half a 365 or whatever. (laughs) I am all about... A card every week. What do you think? Yeah, we're not only getting a card every week. This week, we're in eight days, we're going to get three fight cards. It's going to be something like, I think I saw it was going to be 37 fights or 38 fights in eight days. So uh, if you wanted your overload, you're certainly about to get it. This is like the MMA version of Hanukkah or something. Eight days, a bunch of fights. I don't even know what to make of it. Well, I see only one way to really kick things off. Let's get to our favorite segment on the show. Fights, dogs, parlays, and we're going to break down UFC Fight Island 7 this Saturday and UFC Fight Island 8 the following Wednesday. Uh, I'm so excited to get to this, Gumby, but before we get to it, I'm curious. Does anyone sponsor this segment of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. 
So whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jiu-jitsu, it doesn't matter because you can log your training sessions so that you are making the goals that you want to make. Plus, there's all kinds of other cool features where you can tag friends that you're training with, log your competitions and weigh-ins, and so much more. So make sure to download Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, this is so interesting. Uh, we have a favorite of the show, Max Holloway, a minus 160 favorite, to Calvin Cater, a plus 140 dog. Man, look at where Max Holloway is in his career right now. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Now, both of those fights were to Alexander Volkanovsky, the 145-pound champion, lost the belt, then uh, failed to reclaim it against Volkanovsky. But even if you want to go before that, he's one and three in his last four. It almost feels forgotten about at this point, but Poirier beat him back at UFC 236 in April of 2019. That was for the interim UFC lightweight championship. I mean, that's just a race for my memory, to be quite honest with you. He came back, beat Frankie Edgar, and then uh, lost to Volkanovski twice in a row. So doesn't want to make it a three-fight losing streak, does Max. Favored here, Calvin Cater, though, on the opposite spectrum. He's on a two-fight win streak. He lost as a beat Magomed God, that's so hard to say sometimes. Magomed <laughs> Shapiro, uh, but then came back and beat Jeremy Stevens with a KO and beat Dan Ije uh, via unanimous decision. So two fight win streak for Cater, uh, plus one forty. You know, if you feel really good about him, those still aren't the greatest odds. Uh, just because you know maybe you'd want him to be a bit of bigger dog and you want to be the guy that surprises everyone and says, "Hey, I'm picking Calvin Cater against Max Holloway." But this is a pretty close fight, all things considered. Who are you taking? I actually am going to take Calvin Cater in this one. Um, I, I think I, I've talked myself into it a little bit with Calvin Cater being a Massachusetts boy. So I, I, I'm going to – I'll divulge that much. But also, if you just think about the losses of Max Holloway, right, the, both the Poye one and the ones to Volkanovski – the losses seem to come in situations where, first of all, they're five-round fights. All, all three of those losses came in five-round fights. And they come with somebody who's willing to just, who's willing to throw and get hit by 130-plus punches, right? Like Dustin Poirier, that, in that fight, I think he landed like 200 punches, but he was willing to get hit with 100-plus. Same with Volkanovski. He was willing to get hit with 100-plus from Max Holloway in... Both of those two fighters seem to just know Max isn't going to put me away and I hit harder than he does. So as long as I land 100 or 150 as well, if I if I land as much as Max does, I'm going to be the one doing more damage. And granted, you know, Volkanovski definitely was a little bit more elusive in his fights, you know, than, than Poye was. Poye just landed the much cleaner, much bigger shots. And I just kind of think that this is a type of fight here, too, where if Calvin Cater employs that that style, first of all, I think he can go five rounds with Max Holloway because I think he probably would have beat Zabit Megamed Sharapov in a five-round fight because he was coming on even stronger in round three. So I think if he just employs that and decides he's coming forward and he's cool with getting hit with 120 of Max Holloway's best shots, he throws harder than Max does. Um, and I see Max being the one to take the damage and look worse in a fight where both guys land, you know, 130 to 150 strikes. Very well said. Now we're going to move on to Fight Island 8. So coming up uh, next Wednesday, uh, and this is a banger of a fight. We have Neil Magny, a minus 140 favorite to Michael Chiesa, plus 120 dog. Both of them are on three fight win streaks. 
Magni has beat the likes of Li Jinglang, Anthony Rocco Martin, and Robbie Lawler, all by unanimous decision. Uh, Chiesa, on the other hand, had a submission victory, Kimura, over Carlos Condit, then beat Diego Santos, and Rafael Dos Anjos, the unanimous decision. So both these guys beating some legends here, Condit, Rafael Dos Anjos, Lawler, all falling to these two in their three-fight win streaks, and now they collide in a very closely contested fight. Magni, the minus 140. Uh, Chiesa, just a slight dog at plus 120. Who you got? I think I'm going to go with the favorite here. I've been back and forth on this fight quite a bit, but but I think that the factor that's sticking out to me here is that I don't think Chiesa has the wrestling to, to take down Neil Magny. And Neil Magny's got something like a 450-inch reach or something like that. The dude has got you know broomsticks for arms. So, like, I think probably he's going to have some trouble with the Magny jam. And being that, I do think Magny is actually a better wrestler, too. And I don't see see Chiesa being able to get, like, a transitional submission or a submission off of his back. I just think Magny's going to be in the better positions for most of the fight, whether that's against the cage or on the ground or backing Chiesa up with his jab. I do think that this is a clear-cut fight to go the distance. I don't think either of these guys is going to finish the other one. Um, and, and sort of for that reason, because I don't think they're going to finish the other one, I think it's kind of Magny's fight to win positionally. All right. I like it. Uh, I, I, you know, I lean Chiesa just because of the grappling advantage. Now, that I mean, Magny is actually a very good MMA grappler. Chiesa's better when it comes to actual submissions, locking them in, getting the scrambles, winning those scrambles. But I agree with you that the reach of Magny is going to be pretty tough for Chiesa to deal with. I don't necessarily know that he could get Magny to the ground. Magny has pretty good takedown defense. Um, but that is the one thing I like about Chiesa in this fight, that if it were to get on the ground and get into some sort of scramble, I could see uh, Chiesa locking in a boa constrictor-type choke. Uh, let's go then to this. Uh, well, we're going to return to UFC Fight Island 7, so back to this Saturday, uh, and it's the co-main, Santiago Ponzinibbio, a minus-280 favorite to Li Jinglang, a plus-240 dog. Odds are a little further on this fight, but it's still a good fight. Ponzinibbio lost to Lorenz Larkin via TKO back in 2015, mid-year, June 2015. Since that time, he's reeled off a seven-fight win streak with wins over such names as Neil Magny, the aforementioned, Mike Perry, crazy man, and Gunner fucking Nelson. Li Jinglang is coming off a loss to the aforementioned Neil Magny, uh, but before that had a three-fight win streak, so he is 3-1 and one in his last four. Who are you taking here? So I'm going to go with Ponzinibbio, but I feel like it needs to be mentioned, too. This dude has been away for so long. His last fight happened, you know, that, that fight with Neil Magny was actually a headliner, which we might not remember, because it happened in 2018. So while I think Santiago Ponzinibbio is definitely the better fighter, that's being said with not knowing what he looks like anymore. Like, two years, and, and actually two years and like two months is an incredible amount of time for a fighter to be away. If he is the Santiago Ponzinibbio we saw in that fight against Neil Magny, he trounces Li Jingliang here in brutal fashion. But that being said, I don't like the odds of negative 280 because I don't know that he's at that level anymore, right? So I, I think, you know, the clear-cut pick here is Santiago Ponzinibbio, but like, I would say if you're wagering on this fight, you have to like take a step back and think to yourself, like, 
how sure can you be of Santiago Ponzinibbio in, in 2021? Great points, great points. You never like a long layoff. Uh, let's get to our dog of the week, and it's Mason Jones, a plus 165, friend of the show, and he's fighting Mike Davis. Break it down. Why do we like him? So first of all, I'm absolutely shocked to see a plus number next to his name. I did not think when I looked into the books I would see a plus number next to, to Mason Jones' name. The dude is coming off of 10 straight wins as a professional. He's 10-0 and in his career. He's a double champ of Cage Warriors, which is widely considered the best promotion or close. I mean, I guess KSW is in Europe too. But like the best promotion or second best promotion in Europe and definitely the best UFC feeder in Europe. Look, that's where Michael Bisping, Joanna Janjacek, and Conor McGregor came from. So, like, this dude is an absolute beast to be a double champion in there. And we're talking about a guy with a professional boxing background, a judo background. Like, the guy has definitely, you know, you heard him. He spread out all of his training when he was young with the dream of doing exactly what he did. I love him in so many facets of this fight. Obviously, Mike Davis is coming off that one-sided beatdown of, of Thomas Gifford. But, like, Thomas Gifford did not belong in the UFC at that stage. And yeah, Davis is probably a better boxer, but w- with a, a more complete game like Mason Jones and he can really take the fight anywhere, I-, I favor him pretty heavily in this fight. So to see a plus number next to his name is very exciting. Our parlay to play is Yanan Wu, a minus 120 favorite, and Austin Lingo, a minus 200 favorite. Now play these two favorites together, play these two favorites together and it's going to get you plus 160 odds. Let's hear it. So first of all, Yanan Wu is fighting Jocelyn Edwards. So originally she was supposed to fight, you know, million million pay-per-view seller Betch Kohea. But, you know, the <laughs> problem, yeah, that's my favorite joke in all of MMA, by the way. Million million pay-per-view seller Betch Kohea. Betch gets pulled from this fight and they fill in with Jocelyn Edwards, who I think is so close to even betting odds at this point because she's got a 9-2 and two record getting signed into the organization She's got a bunch of knockouts, but she's knocking out girls who are one in three, two in four, you know, two in two, oh in one. Like she's got a really low level of competition. And if you've seen any film on her, she just goes out there and throws haymakers. She's fighting somebody with a good gas tank, somebody who's just going to pitter patter you with jabs and somebody who, you know, is going to fight smart because at Bantamweight, there's not tons of big knockouts. So I just see Yanan Wu absolutely outclassing her. And then Austin Lingo in this fight, I like him over Jacob Kilburn. While I like Kilburn, I know Austin Lingo had a really tough debut fight against uh, Yusef Zalal, who, who wound up going 3-1 in 2020. So, you know, he, he kind of got a tough hand dealt to him to start. And as a result, you know, I kind of cut him some slack. But he actually looked good in that fight, too. He took down Yusef Zalal. He boxed him up a little bit. I loved him on the regional scene in LFA, and I think just he's got more tools here and better striking than Jacob Kilburn in uh, in the ability to put him on his back if he wants to. So I think these two are pretty sure things. So to get them together at plus 160, I think is a slam dunk. Boom. I'll tell you what else is a slam dunk. It's our gambling advice. So you know what? Hit us up on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. We'll definitely be live tweeting during all these shows. You can let us know if we did you right or did you dirty with some of this advice, but we're pretty confident in what we do. We think you'll be happy with it. I guarantee it. Gumby, let's keep the train moving. Where are we? Where do we go from here in our show? Well, we're going to transition right now to my interview with Sarah Morris, who's getting ready for her fight on Fight Island 
seven. She's going to talk about not only that fight, but the movement back and forth between Canada and Vegas and the delay in the fight, all kinds of other great stuff. So you're going to want to make sure to tune in right now. And joining me today is Sarah Morris, who fights Vanessa Mello on UFC Fight Island on January 16th. So, Sarah, it's been a little while since we've seen you. The last time we saw you was the Sajara Eubanks fight. And, and by the time we get to fight time, this will be almost eight months ago. Is there been a reason for the long layoff? Or have you been working on stuff? Or did a fight just never materialize? Um, I actually had a fight lined up in November, but um, it just like the same opponent so it got postponed till january so i've been in fight camp for like six months for the same fight is that frustrating to you that that obviously that that's not even just like a short layoff right like that that's an extra two months is it was it frustrating to feel that did you want a different opponent like what, what was sort of the mindset going into that um no like of course it's frustrating but I'm I'm glad it was the same opponent. I had a game plan. I was feeling good for it. So now I'm just feeling better for it. And I know a lot of fighters talk about that that burnout when the fight camp starts to get too long. Either they you know it's the one that they plan too long, or something happens like it did to you. Did did you do anything to sort of like alter your your mindset when you you got that two month layoff, or alter the way that you were training to sort of prevent that? Um. Well, I actually, like, got a tooth infection and stuff, so I kind of had to take some time off. So it kind of helped me, like, take the right amount of time off and reset and just come back in fresh again. That's brutal. So I I assume that that involved, did you have to have it removed? Did you have to, to have it, you know, like surgery and have it dealt with? Um, Like, I had to get another root canal on the same tooth and a couple of rounds of antibiotics and stuff. wasn't anything too crazy, but uh, I, I didn't want to get punched in the face <laughs> during that time. <laughs> that seems pretty reasonable, so I assume you, you were still in there grappling and doing what you do best anyway? Uh, yeah, pretty much always. All right. Well, so I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, coming off of that loss because, you know, with a look back at your career, if people are just looking at records, obviously the, the records doesn't look amazing, but at the same time, you have fought one of the most ridiculous runs of fighters in, in any person's career. You know, Jessica Andrade is in there. Juliana Pena is in there. I mean, you, you don't even count the one with, you know, people like Peggy Morgan, Morgan and Tara LaRosa on Ultimate Fighter and Raquel Pennington. What, what are sort of your thoughts when you think back to your career? Do, do you wish you played it slower or are, are you happy to have had all of those crazy, you know, experience fights in there? Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for it all. I, I got into this sport and I'm like with the UFC because I want to fight the best. I could go to other organizations and fight not the best people, but my goal is to fight the best people and see how I stack up. And sometimes it wasn't my day, but I'm training so that it will be my day. Absolutely. And I, I know you've been training a lot at, at Extreme Couture. Is, is that sort of the, the home base permanently now? I know obviously you're from Canada and, and travel hasn't been super easy, but um, is, is that like the permanent home base at the moment? Um, I, I don't really know how to answer that, I guess. We like when COVID hit after my Sajara fight, we moved back to Canada. We weren't sure about 
um, visas and being in the country and not having medical here. So we went back to Canada and then I got this fight and we came back to Vegas and now we're in Vegas, but our cats and our vehicles and our stuff's in Canada. So we're kind of just playing it all by ear and seeing, seeing where it all goes and where we end up right now. We're liking Vegas. This is the place to be for fight camps, but, um, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with the world. And, and I gotta imagine that that made that extra two months of being in fight camp even more miserable. No, that that like you know that all of your stuff is, is across the border and and waiting to go back to. Was that did that make it harder? Yeah, it's honestly it's mostly my cats back home that I really miss. They're they're always cuddling and stuff, so I miss them. The rest is just stuff. <laughs> That's true. Well, we're hoping you get back to your cats soon. Now, I want to talk about the fight and the person standing in between you and your cats, and that's Vanessa Mello. So you're fighting Vanessa Mello in January in just about a month from the time of this recording. You mentioned that you feel like you've got a good game plan, a good plan set aside for her. Can you share a little bit of what that is without giving too much away? How how do you see this fight going? Um, I see me winning it. I see it, me winning it wherever it goes. I feel confident everywhere. I feel like my game's just been improving a lot, like, this last year, surprisingly, with everything going on. Um, I feel like I improved a lot before my Sajara fight, and I feel like I've just been continuing to improve since then, and I'm excited to show what I got. Absolutely. We're excited for that, too. And now, I do want to ask, you because you're, you're not the first fighter to have told me that they, they think that through the COVID times, they've actually made some of their biggest improvements. Do, do you feel like there's a particular reason behind that or a reason behind your, your gains at this point in time, even if it's not COVID related? Um, not totally sure. Maybe, maybe do you just have time to focus on what you want to focus and just realize what's important to you? Well, we're looking forward to you using that, and we're looking forward to this fight with Vanessa Mello. Once again, fans, this was Sarah Morris, who fights Vanessa Mello on UFC Fight Island on January 16th. Sarah, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our mothership, cagesidepress.com. Make sure to go there for all of your interviews and news that you might need. Plus, we want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Jock Market, and Covert Cat. And as a friendly reminder, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TopTurtleMMA. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonti, and we'll see you then.